Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time, we're going back to cover the Mega Powers Exploded. It's WrestleMania 5. Kyush, does it seem like this should have been one of the most successful shows in wrestling history? Because it was. I mean, as we've covered on the lead into this, these shows have been pretty ass and not interesting and basically completely... And not, and not really drawing either. Yeah, like, all of the Macho Man on Top shows have been kind of eh, and there aren't really any other drawing feuds coming into this. This is a show that is just Andre and Jake and Hogan and, and Macho. There's literally nothing else happening. You would never have thought that this was going to be one of the biggest drawing shows of all time, but here we go. Yeah, they hit the home run at all home runs here. This may, I mean, I guess... In some, with the millions, the million shows they're running every year, this isn't that much, that much money, but this was the most successful show ever in wrestling to this point. And would continue to be for many years to come. Like, they don't beat this number until uh, WrestleMania 14. Yeah, I mean, like, things go to shit pretty quick after this, so that's not a huge surprise. Yeah, by the next year, the Warriors on top, and it's not good. Yep. But here, we left off with the Royal Rumble, where Hulk Hogan eliminated his best friend in the world, Randy Savage, and then got his ass beat by the Twin Towers and got thrown out of the match. Great job, Hulk. Yeah. There's probably something that we're going to have to talk about during the course of the show about how, like, I don't want to say the word buried, but Macho Man comes out of this feud in this match... Basically is unable to be a top guy ever again after this, right? They really don't do any of the things they could do to protect him. They just don't bother to. Yeah, and the, I'm sure for them it's just like, well, he's going heels. So who gives a shit? Yeah. But five years from now, they're going to wish that they had fucking like, saved some of that juice for later. So just a couple weeks after the Royal Rumble, on February the 5th, they ran... The main event special live on NBC. This was Friday night in prime time. This is the second main event. The first one was the year before uh, with Hogan and Andre. Now, to explain the difference between the main event and Saturday night's main event, the main event was on Friday night, whereas, of course, Saturday night's main event was on Saturday night. Um, the main event was live, and the main event was in prime time. I don't know the. I think it aired at like 9 p.m. on the East Coast, 8 p.m. Central, and then they would take the West Coast. But comparatively, Saturday night's main event would run from 11:30 to 1 a.m. on the East Coast in place of Saturday Night Live. So a late night spot. The main event has a much better time slot and would draw a much better audience. Absolutely. It's also just a better show, to be honest. It's only an hour. You know, you're going to put your best foot forward. They ran a couple of these to promote WrestleMania. I think there was hopes that this would become a more permanent thing. But this main event got absolutely buried in the ratings by Perfect Strangers in Full House. Perfect fucking strangers. Hell yes. And the season of Full House it was up against. Can't go up against Full, Full House, House was baby. over in 1989. Yeah, oh, you, you got jobbed right. out. It drew 15 million viewers, which 
is an enormous number of people to watch a wrestling show. Let's make that clear. I don't, I mean, primetime wrestling on cable was drawing a couple million people, you know, maybe two million people a week for comparison. The Saturday night's main events would do ratings in the nines. So they'd get like nine, 10 million people watching. This is a lot bigger, but how much TV changed an audience of 15 million back then is terrible. It was one of the lowest rated shows of the season for NBC. It's so fucking fucking weird to think about, isn't it? Like even these days, so many people sitting around watching TV on Friday night back then. Think about all the shows that are like, like Succession, for example, a show that's like in the zeitgeist that everyone's talking about. People watch that shit. Literally like a million. Nobody watched that. Like even a show Yellowstone, which is legitimately popular. I don't know, maybe like 10 million people watch a big episode of Yellowstone, a premiere or finale. I think like the last TV's really like the last genuinely popular show was like Everybody Loves Raymond, and then every then a television <laughs> fell apart. That's pretty that's pretty dire, but yeah, probably true. Um so anyway, this main event show is of course famous. They opened up with a really long match between the Mega Packers and the Twin Towers. You know, they first they wrestle for about 10 minutes and then Savage gets thrown out of the ring onto Elizabeth. This looked like a pretty hard bump Elizabeth took here. This was yeah. actually kind of What the fuck do they do in here? It's and crazy. Randy, just Randy being Randy. Got to make it look real. And the funny thing being, bro, has told the stories about how hard it was. Like, Randy never even wanted Liz to slap somebody because he said, you know, he'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. But yeah, like, just take a header right onto her, Randy. Okay. Jesus. He's not the greatest husband. No. Well, yeah. <laughs> that we do know. So Liz is knocked out. Hogan picks Liz up and carries her to the back to get medical attention, completely abandoning Savage. We then, you know, do a series of segments where we cut back and forth between Hogan and Hogan, you know, doing his best act and be like, oh God, Liz, Randy didn't mean it. He didn't mean it. You gotta be okay. You gotta pull through, Liz. And Savage in the ring getting his ass kicked by Boss Man and Akeem. Yep. Who's at fault here? So Hogan. if you're Hogan, just, I mean, even if you're going to carry her to the back, which you don't need to, you could just let medical professionals do that. Once you get her back there, just let the doctors do their work. You have no role here anymore. Here's the thing. Like what's missing from this story is like the obvious subtext here, which is that Hogan is into Elizabeth and she's into him too. And the reason that we know this is that this exact feud is the Triple H Kurt Angle Stephanie <laughs> yeah, McMahon. They feud. literally did this, but they made, but Triple H but Kurt kissed Stephanie. Yeah, the funny part is they did it with two heels, but like Kurt Angle literally is that character, is the Hulk Hogan character. If he just he just took the next step. Yeah. Because you know Hulk Hogan wanted to kiss Elizabeth. And maybe he did when the camera wasn't on. We don't know. That's the thing. It Elizabeth's stance in all of this doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, tonight, she's in a neutral corner. Yeah. Why? Her husband is one of these two people. What do Savage you mean she's got, neutral? He's got the right to be upset about this whole thing. Yes. Anyway, Liz finally wakes up. And she tells Hogan, like, go back to the ring and help Randy. Dickhead, go help my husband not die. What are you doing? Yeah. 
My husband's in there with two whole 400 pounders getting the fucking dog piss beaten out of him. Go help him out. Yeah. Hogan runs back to the ring, does his hot dog routine. Savage slaps him and walks out of the match. He's had enough of this shit. And then, you know, Savage proceeds to win the match on his own anyway. See, like, Savage is the one who gets, like, really mad and aggressive. And Hogan is going to be like, well, what the fuck, man? Why are you going to treat me like that? Like, cause you're because you're an asshole. You are the worst friend imaginable. Everything's got to be about you. You're trying to steal my wife. I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Anyway, then you get the famous angle where Savage hits Hogan with the title belt, you know, yells at him. He's got jealous eyes, got lust in his eyes. An all-time classic. Just great stuff. I, I don't think I've ever seen the live version where they messed up. Hogan didn't realize the camera, didn't realize they were live and asked for the tiz on. Oh, Jesus, that's awesome. I, I knew yeah. about that, but I forgot that that was this. Literally the biggest then, angle of his life. And then later, Beefcake walks into the frame too soon before he's supposed to get there, so he slowly backs out of it. And then when he comes back, he's taken off his shirt, hoping we forget that he just walked in there and then walked away. Jesus Christ. Beefcake. Hey, they're live and just fucked this up so bad, but they've just, they've not done live TV before this. When have they ever been live before this? They've done one main event special and they've not done something this complicated where they're shooting backstage and having to cut back and forth between backstage and the ring. And this is like a cinematic, it's a cinematic segment, Savage and Hogan and Beefcake. They don't fucking know about TV timing and shit like that. That's not their business to know. So that led Hogan to challenge Savage to a WWF championship match at WrestleMania. Savage made him wait, but then eventually accepted the challenge. Um, Other things going on here. They ran a three-hour special episode of Primetime Wrestling on February the 5th, opposite the NWA Clash of the Champions show. Not on February 5th. That was when the main event was. Um, I think it was February 14th because it was the Valentine's Day Massacre. This was billed as face-to-face, and they did debate segments between WrestleMania opponents moderated by Vince. This was very entertaining. Yes, it really, really is. Awkwardness of Vince. What I love, Vince is such a bad announcer and host. It's hilarious. The guy, for whatever reason, cannot talk when he gets in that context. There's just something just, about that. that. He's, psyching, he's psyching himself out, trying not to be, you know, Southern wrestling Vince McMahon. He's trying to be Bob Costas. He's trying to be Howard Cosell. He literally has like a picture of Bob Costas in his office that he must stare at and be like, that's who you are. You're a Northeastern sports broadcaster. Got to speak the Queen's English. You are not a trailer. Perhaps the most spectacular presentation we've ever seen in sports entertainment history. A lot of Vince McMahon makes sense when you realize that his entire personality is just him desperately trying not to be himself. Oh, he learned the art of the work from Dr. Jerry Graham. He realized if you didn't like who you were, you could be someone else, and it changed his life. 
And now it made him a a billionaire with no one in his life who loves him at all. Hooray! Yeah, Yeah. came all the way back around. He's very lived in again. I wish he he was penniless and not super rich so that he'd wind up back in a trailer park and we could make the full circle. That would be just as nervous, but yeah. Uh, Savage refused to show up for this. I don't know. More heat. Do you think maybe they didn't want to show him and Hogan face to face because he's so much smaller than Hogan? I think that's part of it. I also like. I would. I, w- I w- I'll say I wouldn't want it to. He's six inches shorter. I don't want that visual. I don't think that's going to sell this match well. I also just don't know. For them. Do you feel like they've committed 100% to him being a heel after this at this point? Because I'm not sure that they have. Like, he's a heel to Hogan, but it's understandable, and it's kind of like a personal conflict. Like, but if you, like, get up there and just start cutting mad promos on each other, like, then you're kind of committing to making him a heel. I mean, they do want to doing it. drew so well as a heel champion after the turn that, you know, that for I mean, if they weren't before, I think how well he drew as a heel after he turned on Hogan really worked. They were selling out all around the loop after that. Well, he was red hot. He should have kept the fucking belt. Like, oh we'll, my god, they, he. We'll talk about the ways they could have done it, but how hot the chase would have been if Hogan had not won the belt here and been chasing Savage on the house shows would have been unbelievable. But what it's if, just different booking styles. In the NWA, of course Savage would have kept the title. But in the WWF, the babyface always wins. Hogan always wins. But the first time that that doesn't happen can be such a big deal. Yeah. Like, what if this show ends? And it even has, like, the forewarning. Sherry's on this show, and we're going to talk about that, literally making fun of Elizabeth because of the situation. Yeah. What if Sherry interferes in the main event? Yeah. In place of Hogan and Savage, they did a segment with Sherry and Rock and Robin debating who was right and who was wrong in the Hogan Savage situation. So they, they know they're going to Sherry as Savage's manager. They're already setting that up. I mean, they could literally do that here, and then like that's nuclear, man. Like yeah. a heel wins WrestleMania. What the fuck? Um, Saturday night's main event. On March 11th was you know last big show before WrestleMania. It was built around Elizabeth making the decision as whose corner she would be in at WrestleMania. It was a bit of a letdown as she announced she would be in a neutral corner. She wouldn't be backing either man. I would have liked it if she had chosen Shark Cage. I think that's the right decision here. She needs to be in a Shark Cage well so, above the ring, yeah. Hell yeah, that's the only safe way. The promo back and forth between Hogan and Savage here pretty fantastic. They taped these all in one day just so that each guy could watch the other's promos have it be fresh when they responded to it. Savage is just killing it with these. As he goes point by point and shows the footage, you know, shows the footage of Hogan putting his hand on Liz's ass, shows the footage of Hogan being a hot dog and jumping into his matches when there's no reason to. Savage only gets involved in Hogan's matches when it's absolutely necessary. You know, shows the footage of how Hogan insisted that Elizabeth be both of their manager. And he promised Elizabeth would never be in a dangerous situation. But then she nearly got her head taken off by the big boss, man. 
it's so funny because it's been suggested before that Macho does such a compelling job of proving that Hulk Hogan is a dickhead in this that it's that it may have contributed to a lot of fans start kind of turning Hogan heel from this point into the 90s. I do wonder, was this the beginning of the end for Hogan? Hogan is never again going to be the 100% fan favorite after this. He's just not. It's kind of a lot of people never really the same. A lot of people attribute that to like his like appeal just softening, and I'm sure that it did. But I do wonder how much of it. Some people must have taken Savage's side here. I would have because he's because he's right. He's absolutely right. When you look at the preponderance of the evidence here, Hulk Hogan is a dickhead. Of course, at at the least, he's a bad friend, right? At at that minimum. At most, he's actively trying to bang Macho's wife. Yeah, and steal his title. Yes. <sighs> All right. Are you ready for a WrestleMania-sized lightning round? Yes, I am hyped for the lightning round. Let's do it. All Japan Pro Wrestling co-promoted a show in Colorado with Central States Wrestling. What? I didn't get a number on how many people this drew, but I'm guessing it wasn't very many. How the fuck many people in 1988, is that what we're at? 89. 89, would have known what All Japan was in Colorado. Yeah, I don't know, but I don't think this was the best idea I've ever heard of. What are we doing? (laughs) The NWA was promoting the WrestleWar pay-per-view for April 2nd to run opposite WrestleMania, but moved this show and replaced it with a Clash of the Champions on TBS instead. This was reportedly a play by the pay-per-view companies against Vince to get leverage in a dispute they were having over the percentage of the pay-per-view gross the WWF would get. Bravo pay-per-view companies. Absolutely brilliant. It worked. So, like, literally, they were like, well, fuck you. If you don't give us enough money, we'll just put on whatever WCW bullshit instead. I mean... It worked. Yeah. And Turner was more than happy to play along with this. I love the idea of Ted Turner's like, oh, you're going to fuck over Vince? Awesome. Yeah, Ted Turner doesn't understand probably any of this shit that's going on because he doesn't care. But I'm sure when he got that phone call, like, oh, yeah, that little piece of shit? Yeah, fuck him. I don't care what it is. Just do it. (laughs) So, of course, this is the debacle where the NWA ran the Superdome and drew... They sold less than a thousand tickets in paper to get it up to about four or five thousand in the Superdome. This would have been a be- this wouldn't have even been a good looking crowd in you know whatever the normal sized arena is in New Orleans, but in the Superdome it was a calamity. I mean the Superdome could set up for eighty thousand plus for wrestling if you wanted to. Why would they do this? Like what possessed them? It was madness. I think it was just because Bill Watts used to run shows in the Superdome back in the day, but he had junkyard dogs. Junk- they did too, but JYD in '89 isn't JYD in '78. Yeah, you let's know, be clear. It's a different time. And like they ran specifically just Louisiana, so it's the same as when like they would run like Texas Stadium and World Class. Like it's not because they're that big. It's just that. Their whole audience lives in that area, so they all come to the big show. And those, I think the most they ever drew was about 25,000, which 
25,000 in the Superdome wouldn't look good on TV either. And this is a TV show. It's a TV product you're presenting. So you should just fill up an arena instead of, I mean, even if in theory you were going to sell that many tickets, I don't think it's worth, you know, running a show in a half full stadium. See, this is an example of how WCW didn't understand where we were with the times. Like, this is a move that you can make if it's not on TV, because that's what Bill Watts did. Who gives a shit? You sold the tickets. That's all you were trying to do. Doesn't matter how it looks. Yeah. But you're owned by a TV company, and The Clash of the Champions is a show on TBS that drew. So, this is where they did the Flair Steamboat two out of three falls match, which is is an unbelievable match, an absolute five star classic. But it drew kind of it drew kind of a shit rating. I I mean it was up against this monster WrestleMania. They were trying to repeat the success they'd had the previous with Flair and Sting at the Clash of the Champions against WrestleMania, and it did not work out this time. No, Flair and Sting is a much more exciting match that we've never seen before. Yeah. Whereas we've seen this match a billion fucking times. <sighs> Jerry Lawler and Vern Gagne engaged in a public feud after the ending of the partnership between members of AWA. Do you think this was a work? There's a lot of people who thought it was a work. Maybe it didn't lead to anything as far as I know. Right. I mean, Vern Gagne basically feuded with everyone on Earth at one point or another. Yeah. That was just sort of what he did. <sighs> Larry Zbyska won the vacant AWA title, but they never got the original title back from Lawler. He just kept the thing. He literally still has it in his like dining room to this day. That's his one and only world title. I don't, none of those, the Memphis title, the Southern heavyweight title in Memphis was not a real world title. Nobody's no, going to convince me of that. And he never came remotely close to win and won anywhere else either. So, yeah. <laughs> Chavo Guerrero Sr. got busted with a gram of marijuana in his suitcase at the Canadian border. I don't know how he talked his way out of that one. Oh, Chavo. That was a different time. Like, you could, you could get fucked yeah. in jail for a long time. Dusty Rhodes tried to get the Florida Territory going again. The debut show drew 200 people. Like, in 1989, to be like, oh. you know what? I'm done with the big leagues. Let's start the territory again. No one gives a shit about your territory. And the way the Florida territory had ended was so sad with that grim suicide that it just, it was never going to work again. It's same as, same as Dallas after all the Von Erichs died. People just weren't going to go through that again. Yeah. The three territories that were killed the most were Dallas, obviously, Florida, and then Portland, because the Oregon Athletic Commission made it basically yeah. impossible to run there ever again. So, like, yeah, those territories basically died a grim death at this point. Linda Mann testified to the New Jersey legislature that wrestling was predetermined entertainment. You wouldn't think this would be a big deal in 1989, but it was a media sensation. It's so funny because I feel like every couple of years this would come up and like people would like re like rediscover that wrestling was fake and then make it a big deal again. There there were expose on pro wrestling going back to the 1920s. Like I I refuse to believe that a large percentage of fans ever believe other than children ever believed wrestling was real. 
It's so funny because I just, people I don't I don't think people are that dumb. The way they always talk about it is like, oh yeah, everybody in the South thought it was real. And then you find out no. they're like, no, they didn't. They were just willing to play along. It was just fun. I mean, yeah. when, when, when I go to a wrestling show, I kind of, you know, I try to treat it like it's real. I try to cheer and boo and I'll heckle the referee when he makes a bad call. Like, that's the fun of it. Right. Playing along. The Arks are the boys who let themselves get ripped off by promoters. Because they liked so much that they felt like they were working the fans. Yes. You are absolutely correct about that. Roddy Piper reportedly agreed to a $500,000 contract with the NWA, but then backed out of it. I don't know if I buy that, because he doesn't really go back to WWE. I mean, he doesn't really ever do another full-time year in the WWF. comes back for the occasional run, and there was no way he was making half a mil in the position he was in in the WWF for the amount of time he was working. Yeah, I'm not... Like, even if it was true that they had made him an offer, I also just don't know really what's in that for him at this point. Like, he doesn't... This is the time he needs it the least. Though it just kind of seems, like, bizarre. I, he think, was, he, I think he put that out there for yeah. I get the feeling Roddy Piper was the source on that one. Makes sense. The legendary Mildred Burke passed away on February 18th. Somebody we've you know, really not gotten to talk much about because her heyday. When, when was the Mildred Burke heyday? Uh, 40s and 50s, same time as Gorgeous George. Yeah, so she was part of like the Dumont Network boom. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, she and Gorgeous were the Dumont Network boom. Yeah. Like... Mildred Burke is one of the people I admire most in the history of the wrestling business. Women's wrestling functionally does not exist, perhaps never does begin to exist without her. She was incredible. She was a real worker. She was taken very seriously. She is she trained Moolah, but she was not that kind of worker. She was every bit as good as anybody else. And she should have the Moolah spot on Mount Rushmore. For whatever reason... WWE, I guess because Moolah worked for them, decided to make Moolah the you know face of women's wrestling, and it should be Mildred Burke. This should be who we're talking about. She's the Babe Ruth of women's wrestling. The problem is she had a falling out with the NWA in like the 70s when uh, Vince Sr. was still a member of it, and they basically yeah. blacklisted her from the industry. Like she was basically completely like disappeared and replaced by Moolah. And then she never got to do anything but tra- but she was part of the pe- women who uh, she was one of the people who trained the women uh, who started up the Joshi boom in the 80s. She was partially responsible for that because <laughs> she basically had to go to Japan because she couldn't get work in the States. A new wrestler debuted under a mask in Memphis who Meltzer reported was named Mark Galloway. This would be Mark Calloway, the undertaker. I assume Meltzer just misheard somebody over the phone. Oh, that's uh, Drew Galloway's dad. Hell yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> Wouldn't like Mark Dibble. Gallows have made more sense than like Mark Callis? <laughs> yeah, actually that would have been a good name, wouldn't it, Dan? Yeah. You might have a future in this thing. Yeah, I guess maybe he might, but a masked guy. The restraint they did not giving him that fucking uh, Terminator gimmick they gave literally everybody who was tall who came through Memphis... From, like, Sid to, like, everybody else. Oh, Lord Humongous. Yes, Lord Lord Humongous. Humongous. Yes, that one. Everyone Uh, had to be Lord Humongous. Oh, yeah. 
J.J. Dillon jumped shit from WCW to the WWF. That seems weird, right? Uh, WCW was thinking ship at this point. Well, the funny thing is, like, later on, there would be all of these, like, conspiracy theories that J.J. Dillon had been, like, a stooge and a spy for WCW the whole time. Because he eventually does go back, like, during Vince's most vulnerable moment. And when he goes back... He Bischoff says immediately came to him and was like, hey, I know when every single guy's contract is up. And Bischoff claims he told him he didn't want to know, but I guarantee he did. Yeah, there's like, no fuck. Quit, yeah. Quit fucking lying to me, Eric. Like, you know you took the leads. <laughs> You'd be an idiot not to. I don't want to know when I can get Shawn Michaels. Don't tell me that. Oh, no. Haku hit two men in a bar with a double noggin knocker. <laughs> a shoot double noggin knocker. Yeah, it worked. Apparently they, apparently they weren't Samoan and they actually went down. This is the best shit ever. Like, for Haku, wrestling moves are real. <laughs> like, yeah, if he grabs you by the him. head, he's, he's just going to do that shit. Oh. <sighs> Nick Bockwinkle, Grizzly Smith, and Pedro Morales were all released from their positions as agents. I didn't know they had Nick Bockwinkle at this point. That's wild. He showed up. He, um, in the bat. He's like one of the guys in the main event trying to keep order backstage when Hogan and Savage are fighting. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. It's funny because he gets like a little bit of a run with WCW after that too, but mostly he does almost nothing from this point on. Which yeah, is I don't know what ended up happening with him, actually. He's like one of the greatest wrestlers who ever yeah. lived, and he's just doing he, nothing. Yeah, but his big run was with Vern, and the AWA dies, and yeah, neither big company. He was, I feel like he was the WCW commissioner for a little while in the 90s. Right. He does like a lot of stuff. Pre-Monday Night Wars. Before the NWA fully dies, he does a lot of stuff with them. He does a lot of stuff with like the St. Louis, like the Hall of Fame and stuff. But, like, he might be the person who television not existing in the 70s hurt the most. Like, if you really think about it, like, like you don't get to see a lot of Bruno stuff, sure, but he's still a living legend. But, like, Bachwinkle may have been the greatest wrestler who ever lived, and we'll never know because yeah. none of his shit was televised. Vince reportedly called Ted Turner to ask him for a truce. There was no truce. How funny is it? Like, why would Vince even do that just to, like, get the pay-per-view people? I think because because of the pay-per-view thing. Like, that was legitimately. But, again, what goes around comes around, Vince. You know, you started this. Like, why would Ted say anything other than go fuck yourself, honestly? Yeah. Yeah, no. And then he nearly put Vince out of business. (sighs) And finally, the hammer. Wendy Richter got in an argument with a fellow passenger on a flight and pulled out a snake from her bag. An actual snake. Excuse me? What? Wendy Richter just pulled out a snake to defend. Somebody got in her face and she whipped out a snake to defend herself. She did a shoot Jake Roberts. She pulled out a fucking snake on somebody like it was Mace. Good good thing Andre wasn't on the flight. He would have fainted and the plane would have crashed. I want you to imagine, like, you get in an argument with a stranger and they reach yeah. in their bag. Like, your first reaction is, oh, it's a oh, gun. Oh, shit, gun, knife, yeah. And then here comes a fucking cobra, and you're like, what? <laughs> what God, would I'd you almost rather do? do? 
I'd almost rather deal with a knife than a snake. I'm terrified of snakes. Yeah, I don't. I just wouldn't know how the rest of that was going to go, and it would just be yeah. so unpredictable. <laughs> and Wendy Richter of all. Well, like, if you told me Jake Roberts did this, I'd be like, oh, yeah, of course. He had Damien with him. Oh, well, yeah, like, Rock and Robin did it. Like, that's Jake's sister. Of course she's just yeah, got snakes yeah. she, around. She knows the most. She knows the art. Yeah, she knows the art of the snake. He taught her. I just love the idea of Jake being like, hey, Wendy, carry this one for self-defense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't let you bring guns or knives on planes, but snakes are okay, I guess. There was less security back then. It must have been tough for, like, really famous women wrestlers back then, too, because there's, like, almost no airport security. So, like, there's nothing stopping some dude from cornering you, right? Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty bad. Yeah. So, you know, put a snake in your bag. Let's do it. All right. So to get into the show, Sunday, April the 2nd, 1989, I believe a Sunday afternoon, but I couldn't confirm that. Sure. We're at the Atlantic City Convention Center in Atlantic City, New Jersey, not Trump Plaza, as they referred to it on the broadcast. That was not the name of this place. Was it ever the name of this place? No, it's just Trump branding. I mean, Trump owned it. He bought it along with the town hall. Finding but, out that all the stuff that's supposedly named Trump Tower, Trump whatever, is not actually the name of those buildings. Uh, it's so annoying. Donald Trump is a fraud. Who would believe that? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, the show is sold out. There's about 19,000 people there. They are just hanging from the rafters. You could not possibly jam any more people into this place. You can't say that there is an interest in this show, which, of course, do you think that they first figured out that it was going to be a big show when, like, the tickets sold? Or did you think that they didn't even really know until, like, the buy rate came back? I don't know. Yeah, they had run it the previous year, and, it, you know, of course it sold out. But, yeah, the previous year didn't do great on pay-per-view. I don't know that they knew that. And the thing about this was a lot of the tickets here casino buys the casino just buys up the tickets to give them to big gamblers to try to get them to come you know to the casino to gamble there's a bunch of people who work at these casinos whose whole job is just managing their relationships with the big gamblers and offering them perks to get them to come lose money at the casino yeah and then the upper deck are the actual fans yeah same reason why you know UFC runs all their big shows in Vegas, all the big boxing matches are in Vegas, because it's guaranteed big business and you save a ton of money on marketing costs because the casinos just buy up most of the tickets for you at crazy sense. high prices. Yeah. So with 18,000 people there, they did a $1.7 million gate, which is a new record for any wrestling event. I don't remember the gate number for WrestleMania three. This is significantly more because the tickets are so much more expensive on average. We're getting almost a hundred dollars a ticket here, which is a crazy price for 1989. Oh my God! Yeah, like literally the year like WrestleMania three, as you mentioned, is like ten dollars a ticket for like yeah, it was like a hundred dollars for like ringside. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, but like literally ringside might have been a hundred bucks. I think they might have been done. I think they might have done five bucks for the upper deck. Like literally, like I remember seeing like nosebleed tickets a dollar. And it was like, well, because yeah. <laughs> they just wanted to pack them in. Who gives a shit? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> trying to get 80 something thousand people there. Um, the buy rate 
a staggering 7.5 for 700,000 buys. This blows away all previous wrestling pay-per-views and all subsequent wrestling pay-per-views until Sting Hogan might have beaten this. I'd have to look back. But it's, they don't beat WWF doesn't beat this until uh, Austin and Michaels and Tyson at WrestleMania 14. How fucking wild is this? Not only do they not beat it, they don't even come fucking even close. close again. Yeah, like it's a joke. I don't even know. They might draw five hundred thousand for SummerSlam this year, but after that, it's straight downhill. Like WrestleMania the year after this, I don't even know if it drew with Warrior and Hogan. I don't even know if that drew five hundred thousand buys. But the funny thing is, like, I don't think that you could have realistically been watching at the time yeah. and thought, like, this is going to be the show of shows for this era. Like, as much as we think of WrestleMania 3 as that show, business-wise, it's not. It's this one. Well, it just, yeah, pay-per-view was just not available enough back then. There weren't enough households that had pay-per-view available to do a number like that. The other thing... I don't have closed circuit numbers for this. I'm sure the closed circuit is down a lot from WrestleMania 3 because there was just less of it. People were shifting towards pay-per-view instead. But you can sell so many more pay-per-views because you, you can't set up closed circuit locations everywhere. You know, yeah. small towns, you can't do it. And people are, there's only so far people are going to drive to watch a wrestling show on a you know movie screen. It's just funny that, like, as pay-per-view became more prevalent, they became less and less popular. So, like, by the time everyone in America had easy access to pay-per-view, no one wanted to buy their shit. Whereas this is, like, the only time, like, the balance worked out until Austin came along. Yeah. I think WrestleMania 3, I've heard it did a 10 buy rate, but that was on a much, with a much smaller pay-per-view universe. Right. I think WrestleMania, I've heard WrestleMania 3 only drew it about 100,000 pay-per-view buys. Like, if you remove but WrestleMania... Massive, massive closed-circuit business. Yeah, like, you kind of have to remove, like, the WrestleManias, like, 20 through 35 or whatever, because, like, uh, there are numbers in there that won't ever be contested again and could never possibly be contested. But, like, aside from those, like, this is pretty much as big as a wrestling show ever got success business-wise. Yeah. I mean, let me do the math real quick. 700,000 buys. I think they were doing, I'm guessing this was 25 bucks. I think the regular pay-per-views were 20 at this point. WrestleMania was 25. They keep 40% of that. $7 million gross for the company. Plus 1.7 million at the gate. You throw in the closed circuit and the gimmicks, they might have cleared 10 mil this night. Which is wild. Of course, now yeah. they clear ten million just at the gate. <laughs> so <laughs> each each night. Yeah. Yes, for each of the two nights. Yeah, and then ten million in sponsorships. The sponsorship number was wild this year. Yeah, it, it's a whole different thing now. It's not even fair to compare it. But as far as like just flat wrestling shows yeah. before like wrestling, old became... old school carny wrestling promoting. This was about as good as it ever got. Yeah, it's tough to compare anything else even to it, really. On commentary, of course, we've got Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. This is quite a night for Jesse, as we'll cover. Like, this is maybe the night I loved Jesse the most out of all the ones that we've ever watched. He's on fire tonight. And, like, obviously he's called better shows and maybe shows where he even had more to talk about. But this show is really, it's so placid for most of it that really the only personality we get is Jesse. Oh, yeah. 
So you just love him every time he opens his mouth because somebody's doing something. The crowd was pretty dead all through the night. So much of it is just bored dads with their kids who just came, they came to Atlantic City to gamble. And, you know, this going to WrestleMania with their kid was their excuse for getting to go. And most of them are not really into the show. Yeah, like a bunch of rich high rollers who, like, brought their kids to this dumb bullshit they don't care about. And their kids don't even really care about it. And Donald Trump sitting facing the hard camera in the front row. Seeing a reasonably alert and charming Donald Trump as he was in the 80s was kind of odd. How fucking bored he must have been watching this. My favorite part of this show, and we'll just talk about it now because it's like it's such a small segment. But Sean Mooney interviews Donald Trump in the middle of this show. And, like, Trump stares directly into his fucking soul so bad that Mooney keeps stumbling over his lines. <laughs> he in a will. Way that he was yeah. terrified. Oh, we open the show. First, we get a quick little package. It's just Vince being like, WrestleMania, where the mega power will explode. Pretty good. Yeah, Mega Powers Explode is maybe the best tagline they ever Iconic. came up with. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't get any better than that. Then we cut to ringside. Fucking Robin performs America the Beautiful. Okay, look. Aretha Franklin did this shit at yeah. WrestleMania 3. Ray Charles did it another two. Like... I don't remember who did it the previous year. I think it was oh, I think it was Gladys Knight the previous year. Yeah, it was Gladys Knight, and then at WrestleMania six, it's uh, uh, a yeah, beautiful rendition of O Canada. Some of the greatest musical artists of all time, and now Rock and Robin, Willie Willie Nelson at WrestleMania seven. Yeah, they put poor Rock and Robin up there. Bless her goddamn heart. What business did they have? Like. So flat. I don't know what the deal was here. Um, she had what I would th- consider a perfectly fine voice for like a normal person. Do you think somebody backed out at the last minute Someone or could make it? I just, this was so strange. It's such a departure from the other WrestleManias. At the original, it was Mean Gene, but I've always heard they had somebody there who no showed or got stuck in traffic. And so they just pulled Bean Gene out at the last second to do it. And I mean, that would make sense again here. It, it may have just also have been that they were looking for something for her to do on that particular night. Yeah. I don't really remember, Maybe. but like, shit, it's terrible. Oh, she's bad. <laughs> Jesse immediately <laughs> says that she should keep her day job. This is the funniest thing. There are two musical performances on this night. There's this one and Run DMC later, which we'll get to. And the announcers bury both of them. <laughs> Opening match, King Haku versus the Mighty Hercules. Okay, uh, I have a very important question here. Did Haku actually have Jerry the King Lawler's music, or is that just dubbed on the network? Oh, I think he did. I think, yeah, The Great Gate of Kiev is an old classical music song that I think they always just use for royal characters. Okay, that's what I thought, um, because that's fucking incredible. He yeah, he comes out here and looks like a god. Yep. <laughs> Got being carried to the ring on his throne. Like we said, I'm, I think this is a great presentation. I think this is a main eventer. Oh, I think they should have done way, way, way more with Haku. Um, Hercules 
gets to toss Haku around, really showing his power off. There's not really much of an issue between these two guys. It's just Hercules used to be managed by Bobby Heenan. And then Heenan sold his contract to Ted DiBiase. And that program's over, so they just move Hercules into feuding with one of Heenan's guys. Pretty much, yeah. Um, finish comes here. Hercules hits a back suplex into a bridge. You know, this match actually wasn't too bad. This was fine. I liked it just fine. I really appreciate, like, this this season that we've done has really helped me appreciate Haku and how, like, for his <laughs> time, he's doing awesome shit. Yeah. He really is. A dude who's, I don't know, 170, 80 pounds doing cross bodies and diving headbutts and, yeah, cool stuff. He's really ahead of his time here. Get a quick interview with the Rockers backstage with Mean Gene, and then we've got the Rockers against the Twin Towers. Uh, quite the mismatch as far as size here. Now, my favorite thing about both the backstage segment and this match is learning that, like, Stahl Michaels was so fucking hungover during the course of this that he could, like, barely remember the match while they were in the ring. <laughs> Very believable. And I feel like Gorilla buried uh, the Rockers as he always for partying too much yeah it was really noticeable here because like this is supposed to be the story about like if the rockers get caught they're yeah. automatically going to lose but they're just so fast and so plucky Tag they won't stop. specialists yeah but like so they should be putting them over and like jesse's putting them over yeah. and gorilla's just like nah they suck <laughs> gorilla's like oh yeah i think they were rocking a little too hard last night heard they were out all night chasing ladies at the casino it's just so funny like they just I think Gorilla just actually hated these guys. I think he like, really the fucking hated them. Best explanation I can come up with is he just thought these were pretty boys who partied too much and didn't take the business seriously. And he wasn't entirely wrong. No, that's exactly what they are. So I mean that makes sense. The Rockers are able to get some offense in when they double team, but the size of the Twin Towers is just too much here. Boss man tags in and tries to do a splash off the top rope, which gets one of the biggest reactions because it's insane. When he, he thankfully cl- misses. And when he starts yeah. climbing the ropes, everyone's like, are you fucking serious? Real? What do you mean? Yeah. Um, Boss man sets up for what looks like it's going to be a power bomb, but Janetti trips him and then the Rockers hit a double missile drop kick. Janetti then comes off the top rope and Bossman catches him with like uh, kind of it was a half power bomb, half spine buster, I'd say. Damn. And then Akeem tags in and hits a big splash for the pin. I really liked this. This is really good. This is exactly what it was supposed to be. Like yeah. this is the Rockers look incredible. They're like beating the ass of the Twin Towers in a way that like even like Hogan and Macho couldn't do until the second they lay hands on him and then squish you're dead. <laughs> Yeah, now this was good, but the Brainbusters and Rockers had been having a program, and man, I really could have gone for a match between them here. Well, here's the thing. Like, the the story they're trying to tell in the tag division is with Strike Force, so I guess they had to face, like, a good heel tag team here. I guess they could have just faced could've the been Twin the towers. towers. Yeah. Yeah, that match th- would have worked just fine against the Towers. In fact, it would have been even more heat on Martel that he left Tito to get killed by the Towers. That's a good point. Yeah. Tony Sh- 
Shivani is backstage interviewing Ted DiBiase and Virgil. I always forget he was here. Our boy is here. Man. Not very long. And he looks like he's five years old. Yeah. He's a veteran by this point, though. He started all the way back uh, at the first Starcast. It's been six years in the business for him. That's crazy. Yeah. I re- God, I wish they had kept him because I really like him in the WWF. I, I just think, think he just he brings a seriousness to it. He has a good balance of like he's energetic and kind of wacky, but he has a way of calling the matches like it's a real sport that I really liked. He has an earnestness that I yeah. think is missing from this company. Like he like genuinely cares about what's happening. Whereas Gorilla and Jesse could seem a little bit like, what? Uh, whatever. Yeah. He definitely commits to the bit. And Vince just could not stand that he was too Southern, which is funny because I don't really think he's Southern at all. He's not Southern in the slightest. What do you mean? He's from Virginia. Virginia is not really a Southern state. Guys, I'm from Virginia. I'm not yeah. Southern at all. Virginia's the mid-Atlantic. I'm either from Southern Virginia. Uh, where's my accent, guys? Yeah. Then we got the Million Dollar Man versus Brutus, the Barber Beefcake. Biasi has recently debuted the Million Dollar Title. What a brilliant move! That since he can't win the WWF title, he just makes his own title belt and carries it around. It winds up being incredible for his career because yes. you never really remember it's that he so didn't win he the did. title because he just has this one. It's a way it's a way nicer belt than that Eagle Belt. It damn sure is. Uh, I love DiBiase going to shake hands with Trump before the match. That was a great little moment. I just love the idea that, like, obviously DiBiase's whole shtick is, like, ridiculous. But, like, it just works. Like, oh, yeah, he knows every rich man because, of course, he yeah. does. He's Ted DiBiase. And Trump plays along. I don't know if he knew who DiBiase I assume he got who DiBiase was from the previous year. But also, like, he just is the kind of it's guy obvious, who plays yeah. along. Like, he's a bullshit artist. He knows. Um... I don't feel like, to my knowledge, there was really no build to this match. Neither guy really had anything to do. Like, does DiBiase ever have a big singles match ever again after this? He gets a program. He has a big program with Dusty, but they never wrestle on pay-per-view. And then he works with Jake at the next WrestleMania. Yeah, big program with Virgil in 91. Yeah, that's got to be the one. Okay, fair enough. But, like, he's basically out of the main event, and he never gets back in. Like, it's done. Oh, yeah, no. It's an okay match, you know. Beefcake's not great. DiBiase's pretty good. Uh, They go out on the floor, and at this point, we can clearly see that the WrestleMania 5 on the apron is the same apron they used last year, but they've scratched off the I in the Roman numeral four. It's depressing. It's insane how cheap this is. Can we talk a little bit about the ambiance of this shithole for a second? Like, we we haven't buried it enough. Disgusting. Disgusting. First of all, this whole arena is carpeted. 
which is something I've never seen before and hope never. The smell of this place must have been foul. <sighs> Just that everyone smoking like in there. It's been there for 50 years. Every guy who comes down has to descend like 20 steps down a carpeted staircase to get to the ring, which is the How most. How many like, people tripped? Yeah, it's just the most bizarre, like, way for anybody to get to a ring I've ever seen. And then, like, they like put more money into it since last year, which basically just amounts to like stringing Christmas lights up into the rafters, yeah. like it's a fucking dorm room. It's a bizarre situation. Disgusting shithole is what this place is. And like, it's all it would ever be. <laughs> made them a ton of money. They could not do money here again. Vince just could not take it. Imagine if they just like signed a 10-year deal and this is just what oh. Mania was. It just looks disgusting. It would have been so bad. I just I feel like this if this shows in a stadium, I feel like it would be remembered as a much bigger show. Oh yeah. I mean, the Hogan Savage very obviously could have drawn yeah. like fifty thousand. Like, like yeah, they, the, they, they the interest was there. This one for sure. Oh, uh, we get a double get a double count out here. Just not going to beat either of these guys. Yep. There's a fight after the match. Beefcake gets better of it. He gets out his shears to cut DiBiase's hair, but DiBiase and Virgil take off. My favorite part is after the match, he goes after Virgil instead of DiBiase, and Jesse rightly points out, you're not going to cut his hair. He doesn't have any damn hair, Beefcake. <laughs> oh, man. Um, we go to Lord Alfred Hayes for a pre-tape where he tries to interview the Bushwhackers at the uh, Bacon Lot bagels and biceps brunch but they're both just mowing down plates of pancakes and won't talk to him first of all this is a pretty decent segment because anytime yeah. lord alfred hayes is embarrassed it's a pretty funny segment uh let me just also say once again i don't know how often we get to mention this again for the rest of our podcast uh bacon bagels and biceps brunch is the greatest idea for an event i've ever heard we need to bring it back i want to attend many if if they do if they did brunch wrestlemania next year i would definitely go to the brunch fucking yeah just like eat some eggs with drew mcintyre let's do it come on yeah randy orton eating waffles together i would love that fuck yeah and then we have the Fabulous Rougeos versus the Bushwhackers in a pretty bad match. The Bushwhackers get the win in five minutes. Yeah. Uh, really not great for the Rougeos. Like, the Rougeos really seem like they were hot and, like, on to something here. Yeah. And they're already done. Like, the Ooh, Royal Rumble is, they like, fi- the peak they've finally got the all They finally got the All-American Boys entrance music, which I love so much. Yeah. But, like, they... The company does not take them seriously. They never sniff the belts. Like, they're not getting anywhere. Next up, Mr. Perfect versus the Blue Blazer. Hennig is finally wearing a singlet. All is right with the world. It was so weird to see him in normal tights that when he comes out here in his neon green singlet, I was like, "Ah, Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's right. He's the only person Blue. in wrestling history who a singlet made look like a bigger star. Everyone else looks pretty shitty in one yeah. of these things. It's weird. I don't know what it is. I, is it just that we're used to seeing him in the singlet? Because he's got a good It's not Most guys, most of the time when you see a guy in a singlet, you say, oh, they're covering up his gut. 
But the other thing, too, is I think this is the only guy really wearing one of these in the company. Yeah. Everyone else Ken, just wears Ken the same has thankfully left us at this point. Yeah, everyone else is just wearing tights, like exactly yeah. the same tights, usually the same color, not interesting. So actually a singlet makes him stand out. They have a nice match for five minutes here. Perfect gets the win with the perfect plex. That's everything it should have been. It's just, it's very cool to see Owen Hart in this gimmick in 1989, like doing cool flips and shit. Like that's very good. Like it's a shame that we don't get more of this actually. And then very randomly, they introduce Jesse Ventura to the crowd, and he gets up and poses and gets a gigantic pop. He literally says, I got a surprise for you, Gorilla. Yeah. And his surprise is, now everyone's going to cheer me, and they absolutely do. Because Jesse is the second most over person in this company. <laughs> yeah, he's a movie star. He was in The Predator. He was in The Running Man. Dude he's is also, over at this point. But he's also just the coolest dude. Like, yeah. there's just a tendency for us to love commentators because, like, they're, they're our window into the product, right? Like, Jerry Lawler got this reaction from people for 20 years, even though he sucks. No like, scumbag. But Jesse Ventura actually rules yeah. and, and was awesome all the time. We throw to Alfred Hayes uh, to the WrestleMania 5K on the boardwalk, <laughs> which was won by Mr. Fuji, who ran it in his tuxedo and bowler's hat to prove what good shape he's in. This is some high comedy right here, guys. <laughs> he starts running the marathon. Everyone immediately yeah. passes him. Then they do like a pan to like obviously like five minutes later because the sun's in the same position in the sky fuji comes running back the other way and says i win i win yeah good stuff this Enjoyable. is good fuji's got lungs he can go and then run dmc performed the wrestlemania rap i want to say run dmc wasn't cool anymore at this point I mean, in 89, they're definitely not nearly as cool as they yeah. once were. LL Cool J has completely surpassed them. But it's still a pretty hip, like, act for WWE to have access to. It's it's not a bad get. Of course, yeah, Gorilla and Jesse bury them because they don't understand hip-hop. Jesse's just like, yeah, I like that pretty well, Gorilla. And Gorilla's just like, I can't, ah, I'm so excited that that's over. Like, Gorilla, you guys paid money for this. Shut up. And then, for the World Tag Titles, we've got Demolition defending against the Powers of Pain and Mr. Fuji. It's two on three. This is truly uh, the war for my affection, because I hate Demolition so much, and I love the Warlord and the Barbarian so much. So, like, I think this is the hardest I've rooted for any, like, team in any match that I knew for sure was going to lose. Yeah, it's not to be. Demolition are holding these belts forever. God, demolition. Look, we're this is the end of this season. We may never come back to the Hogan era. So for never. one last time, fuck demolition and their disgusting, greasy dad bodies and their garbage, like $20 bondage wear outfits and their terrible Road Warrior knockoff makeup. You guys fucking suck and you should feel bad about yourselves. So Fuji opportunistically jumps in the ring when he has the opportunities to, but of course eventually gets 
cut off and hit with the demolition decapitation and pinned and demolition retained the tag titles. I got to say, Fuji was actually in pretty damn good shape yeah. here. Like he was like mixing it up. He would still wrestle once in a while in this era. He had a martial arts challenge against Ricky Steamboat on one of the early Saturday night's main events. Yeah, that sounds about right. It did. It didn't go well for Fuji. I can't imagine it did. He got he got kicked in the face and knocked out. I do also want to say, do you think that Warlord would have been taken more seriously? Because he's going. Okay, so the Barbarian Warlord are going for the Road Warrior style haircuts. Where there like. Are. One has a bat mohawk and one has the hair on the sides. But Warlord's let his, like, puff out instead of, like, keeping it close shaven. So it looks like he has, like, two, like, puffy bits of hair on the sides. Makes him look like a weird mad scientist. I feel like if he had just trimmed that up, he would have been taken more seriously. Backstage, Shivani tries to get into Randy Savage's locker room, but he can't do it. Savage shoves the cameraman, which I really love this shot they get here of the camera, you know, going up to the ceiling. Yeah, I really like this. Savage, just an out-of-control madman here. This is maybe the first time we ever have, like, a a backstage announcer who has to go, like, get murdered. Like, what? uh, he clearly knows he's going to be harmed by the thing he's about to do. I like that. I was really hoping we were starting to come down the stretch here and then Dino Bravo's music hit. We're not even halfway, Steve. Oh, there's like seven more matches, guys. Yeah. As a kid, would you have just been excited that there were so many matches? I feel Honestly, like that. Yes. I feel like this, this appeals to a kid to be like, oh my God, there's going to be 14 matches on the show. And, like, as a kid, you don't really... You're not thinking about, like, match quality and shit. You care about time, yeah. You're just like, oh, man, it's Dino Bravo and Ronnie Garvin. Oh, he's a kick his ass. Like, of course you would just be like that because you're an idiot. The kids are idiots. (laughs) We have to sit through a Dino Bravo match. Dino Bravo versus rugged Ronnie Garvin. Before the the match starts... This is the least charisma in any match that we've ever seen. And it's down there. Ronnie Garvin is a charisma black hole. The funny thing is, if he didn't have a flat top and he had, like, a horrible skullet, wouldn't he just look like Kevin Sullivan? Like, he's dressed he like would. Kevin Sullivan. He's got the gut of Kevin Sullivan. He yeah. wrestles like him. Credits are shit in USA, of course, even though Garvin is from Montreal. <sighs> Come on. They don't know that. Jesus. Before the match starts, Finkel introduces Jimmy Snuka, and he gets his entrance. This is his return to the company. I think he's been gone since, like, 85 at this point. He was at the first WrestleMania, and that's about it as far as I remember for him. Does he actually do anything, like, uh, later on in there in this year? Does he, like, wrestle no. at all? He gets squashed by Rick Rude at WrestleMania six. He didn't. He didn't have anything left. He's and yet, old. And yet we keep yeah, seeing his was, matches for another 20 fucking years. Holy cap bringing him back. Well, Snuka could always get a pop at the garden. And Vince Vince was loyal to guys who drew money for his dad. Slash Snuka maybe knew some things Vince had done that Vince didn't want getting out. And maybe Vince kind of owned him and could just get him to come back whenever he wanted. Because maybe he helped him stay out of prison one time and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, after five minutes, Bravo gets the pin with the side slam. 
very, very bad match. God, no, he This is just the shits, guys. This is... Oh, this is a, maybe... This is down there for one of the, like, worst, lamest WrestleMania matches of all time. Then Garvin roughs up Frenchie Martin after the match and hits him with the stomp. This is uh, Frenchie's send-off. This is it for him in the WWF. I think he was ready to retire. That sounds about right. Uh, it, enjoy your retirement, Frenchie. Uh, I don't think most people remembered that you were there in the first place. Nope. Nope. Then we've got the Brain Busters against Strikeforce. Um, seems like it would be a really good match. Instead, it's really just an angle. Um the whole point here is for Martel to turn on Santana. Martel, Santana accidentally hits him with the flying forearm, and Martel just won't get back in the ring. He's slim. They got hit in the head for about 10 minutes here, and he won't tag back in. And then he finally just bails. <laughs> yeah. He walks out, and the Busters hit Tito with an absolutely brutal spike pile driver and pin him. I think the Brain Busters are the only people I've ever seen do the spike pile driver and not hurt someone. <laughs> like, That's I don't, I think this should be banned. Taz got, Taz, got his, Taz got his neck broken on one of these, didn't he? Yeah, it's a horrifically unsafe move because the person doing the pile driver normally guides the head down, but with the spike, the person pushing the feet is the one doing it. So, like, yep. it's not safe at all. We go backstage where Mean Gene is furious rick martell furious like i love this so much because rick martell is just like it was a waste of space he should never have asked me to be a team again and mean gene just like you motherfucker how can you betray a man you don't walk out of a match there's a number of unwritten rules i loved that when gene i loved when gene would get angry like, really sell the heels or devious pieces of shit. Yeah, even if you didn't care as a fan, seeing Gene so mad would make you mad too. Like, oh, well, fuck. Yeah, if Gene's mad, then that must be bullshit. I will say, when Strike Force first came out, because when they were a tag team originally, they were kind of like fresh-faced and young. And here, like, yeah. they look like such bigger stars. So when they came yeah. out, I was like, oh, man, Strike Force looks incredible. Why didn't they push the shit? And then, of course, this is their breakup. <laughs> they were never really over was the thing. They got booed the previous year against Demolition. Everybody just – it was just – it felt creepy. They were way too – like, they're trying to portray, like, these, like, high school guys cruising around for girls. And they're, like, dudes in their mid-30s. Yeah, that was not the right way to go with them. Especially like, Tito. Tito's especially way too old for it. It was, it was supposed to be Tom Zink, and Tom Zink left. It was Zink and Martel, the canon but it, connection. But even Martel was too old for it at this point. Yeah, Martel, like, had, been, Martel had been a tag team champion in the WWF back in the early 80s. He was He'd an AWA world champion. champion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's why he's so pissed off that he's been doing this bullshit with Tito for a year. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Like, that's definitely not the kind of gimmick this should have had. But, like, man, it just feels weird that, like, Tito never got to do shit, really. Like, it always sounded like, oh, we thought about putting the Intercontinental Belt on Tito, yeah. but we didn't. And we thought about putting the world title on Tito, but of course we didn't. And we thought about this feud for Tito, but we didn't do it. <laughs> he was a really solid hand. Yeah, and Martel's incredible. 
Ink cut a great oh, promo. Yeah. He's got a great He's, look. It, it's so for the best that they split up. Rick the Model Martel is one of the great characters of all time. Yeah, they should have pushed that character way more than they even did. Like, that's a main event guy. All right. Next up, they've been promoting that there will be a Piper's Pit on the show with a special guest. The bagpipes start to play, but it's brother love in a kilt that comes out. This, oh. They do this segment in a weird way. Because basically they say, like, all right, Piper's coming out, and then Brother Love comes out. And I, I, I would think that the idea is we're supposed to think, like, oh, Piper's not actually coming out. It's Brother Love to get heat. But then, like, Gorilla's just like, well, no, Piper's still coming. I guess Brother Love just came out first. All right, <laughs> why tell us that? Yeah. I think... Is the whole is the is the joke with Brother Love that Bruce Pritchard's a gigantic piece of shit, so it's funny that he's playing a man of God. Is oh, that of is that the point here? That he's drunk in a strip club every single night of his life? Yes, that's the joke. Is that he is the least religious man on the planet Earth. <laughs> the fact that we've gotten all of the events of this time from his perspective has really saved him. From, like, the story of this time being about what a weird, like, gross scumbag he really is. <laughs> it's insane that, like, this guy is over now. Because I just remember coming up as a wrestling fan. And to the extent that I knew anything about Bruce Pritchard, it was that he was this sleazy, slimy, stooge piece of shit who everybody hated and buried in shoot interviews. Yeah, the idea that he's like that everybody's about friend. Bruce Pritchard. Yeah, everybody in the business is his friend now. Everyone hated Bruce Pritchard. Everyone. You respected Vince. You respected Pat. Fuck Bruce. What a fucking stooge. Why did they hire this guy? He's like 25 years old here. It's insane. Yeah, they hired him because he was, like, a decent manager in Houston and also because he had been, like, an assistant booker for down there and, had like, had some, like, production experience. But, like, I think it's – my sense is Pat, it, Patterson is hiring an assistant who is no threat to him. Right. Like, the other people who have booking experience you could bring in are the kinds of people who could replace you. Bruce Pritchard is not going to take your job. Right. And then he used yeah, Bruce basically to do all the stuff he didn't want to do, which is like do the pre-tapes and shit. Yeah. And then they brought, then J.J. Dillon comes in to do administrative stuff. Like, J.J. Dillon is a bookkeeper. J.J. Dillon is an intelligent man who I think is now like the warden of a prison in Delaware or something. It's very random. His vibe has always been incompetent prison warden. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this segment, Bruce, they have him do the thing where he interviews, quote unquote, himself as Roddy Piper. So he does his Roddy Piper impersonation. The idea here is very clearly oh, man, he's got such a good Roddy Piper impersonation. Let's get that on TV. It's not that good an impersonation. It's not in his top 20. That's really not great. No. Then he brings out his special guest, which is Morton Downey Jr., which, you know, 
given the average age of people who listen to this podcast, you know, listeners, you've probably never heard of this guy. Just trust me, this guy was a huge deal back in the late 80s. Like, this guy was Jerry Springer before Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer stole his whole shtick from Morton Downey Jr. Like, the Jerry Springer show was just a revamped version of the Morton Downey Jr. show. And Jerry Springer had, you know, fairly liberal politics instead of, you know, kind of conservative shock jock ones like Morton Downey Jr. But this guy was a star back then. Let's be clear. If the Jerry Springer show had, like, it's like if you crash the Bill Maher show and the Jerry Springer show together. Yeah. So you get like okay. actual celebrities and talking heads on there and then just rile them up to fight. This man got Al Sharpton to like get shoved on his ass out of his chair by another guy because of how mad everyone was getting at each other on his show. This guy was a psychopath. Also, what an amazing heel this guy is. He just oozes sleazy dickhead energy. Like, he looks like a dude who, like, you'd go out to dinner with your family, and he'd be sitting at the next table over and just be leering at your 14-year-old sister is the vibe I get from this guy. Like, in real life, guy was an enormous piece of shit. An enormous <laughs> piece of shit. In the most amazing ways. Like, I looked down his Wikipedia page, and I was just waiting until I found, yep, he exposed himself to women in a comedy club. Of course he did. Of course he did. Like... But man, this guy would have been a brilliant heel manager. This guy would have been so much better at hosting the Brother Love show than Brother Love. They couldn't, sadly, they'd never be able to get this guy to commit to full time, but he would have been brilliant doing the talk show in wrestling. That would have been perfect. Well, the funny part is, like, his whole career falls apart in September of this year, so they might have been able to get him later on. But like he, he died, he dies of well, he smoked up like a chimney. He dies of lung cancer, really, really young. Yeah, I mean, he like he lives for a number of years after this because like he has a whole downfall and then he loses a lung to cancer and then he like because he had been literally part of a board of people being like, we should let people smoke and remove all the warnings because it's so cool. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, yeah. And then well, he had to take yeah, all that back. But yeah, this segment sucks until the moment Brother Love leaves. And then when it's just Morton Downey and Piper, there's heat immediately. Yeah. So Piper shows up. He talks some shit. He keeps asking Brother Love questions, but then cutting him off. And then, like, kicks him in the ass. Rip his kilt off to expose that Brother Love is wearing tiny little red briefs. And then... He runs up the ramp, trips, and we have to see Bruce Pritchard's pasty ass. I really think he should have been wearing a thong here. I know that wasn't really a thing at the uh, time, but like... Would have been despicable. Like, ten years later, Vince definitely would have made him wear a thong, right? <laughs> yeah. And then... Yeah, Piper starts interviewing Downey, and yeah, this is red hot. What is... Downey gets off a hell of a zinger here on Piper, where it's like, Piper's like, what kind of name is Morton? And Piper and Piper's like, and Downey's like, well, I don't know, your mom really liked it. Like, he's just ripping Piper. <sighs> and then, like, taking huge drags off a cigarette and then blowing them directly <laughs> blowing into Piper's, Piper's face. face. This this went way, way over time, but I wish Brother Love just hadn't been involved at all, and this is all we had gotten. 
it's, I don't yeah, know it's just, they, I also don't know if they promoted Morton Downey was going to be here, which is kind of crazy. What they should have done is just promote Morton Downey. He comes out, and then Piper comes out, and like actually, this is a surprise Piper yeah. pit. And Let's Piper's do it. just like, "You stole your whole shit from me. Like I'm the original bad boy of entertainment." But like, so Morton Downey Jr.'s whole thing is that he chain smokes, like literally, like smokes a cigarette to the end, On picks up another cigarette, yeah. does another one. Forever. And he blows smoke in his guests' faces. That's his whole deal. So he keeps blowing smoke in Piper's face. Piper very politely asks him that. It's funny. He's like, Mr. Downey, will you please not blow your cigarette smoke in my face? And Downey's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I won't. Takes a big drag, blows it right in his face again. Piper lets him do this like six times, which is admirable restraint from Rowdy Roddy Piper. You would have thought he would have whooped his ass after the first one. And the funny thing is, like, it's clear that it's been agreed that, like, Downey's not allowed to get punched. Like, we're not doing no. anything physical. Sadly, no. Man, we would have loved to see that. Oh, my God. People would have bought tickets to see that. This man has among the most punchable faces of anyone I've ever seen. I don't he would have been to... so money as a heel manager. I don't even know how to describe it to you. Like... Um, the best corollary I could give you from now is like, imagine if Ben Shapiro really leaned into the hateability of himself, <laughs> and he just did, started cutting like pro wrestling promos about all his dumb bullshit, and then he, he went on like, WrestleMania and let Roman Reigns beat his ass. He reminds me of Eric Bischoff, but with blonde hair. A little bit, yeah. It's just the the big fake white teeth and the slant, greasy slick back hair, like just a hateable piece of shit. So finally, Piper goes outside, gets a fire extinguisher, and blasts Downey with it in a classic WrestleMania moment. And in a moment that was excessively stiff, I'm going to guess Piper himself probably didn't much care for Downey. Piper doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would have Piper been interested doesn't like in shit. He doesn't like he doesn't like outsiders. He hates anybody. It seemed like he was one of those guys who was really protective of the business. So I don't think he ever liked anybody coming in from outside and so taking bl- a payday from one of the boys. So he blasts him with the extinguisher normal, and then like down he takes a bump, and I'm sure that's what they agree to. And then he immediately yeah. goes behind and like shoves the nozzle up Downey's asshole and like blasts him <laughs> with it for like five straight seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, that's stiff, man. What are we doing? Oh, man. Um, Sean Mooney interviews Trump and nearly shits his pants. Like, literally, and Trump knows it. Because all he's doing is just, like, staring and staring and staring as Mooney cannot get a word out. Mooney will not meet his eyes. Mr. Trump is not happy. But he's saying all the right things, like, yeah, you know, we're glad oh, to yeah. have WrestleMania like, here. Oh, it's it's great. all good. It's so huge. Brought so many people here. The casinos are absolutely packed. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But funny, it's just so fun. funny because it's one of those things that, like, you associate with him where he just says a bunch of shit that means nothing. But it's like, all right. <laughs> How great would it have been if he'd been in the Piper's Pit segment and getting involved with a fire extinguisher? Of course, he never would have done it. He would have had to have been the hero. He took, he took, he took the stunner at WrestleMania. Yeah, but only after he got to shave Vince's head. Yeah. Sure. That is one of the <sighs> weirdest things ever that he agreed to take the stunner, right? Like, that's that's so out of character for him. Uh, 
And then we come back and Jesse proceeds to cut an incredible promo about how mad he is that he's in a movie. <laughs> so how dare he step into Hollywood, Gorilla Monsoon? Let me tell you something, Hulk Hogan. Hollywood is my domain, but I can see why you're doing it. You're doing it, Hogan, because you're to the macho man and when you lose to him you'll have no job hulk hogan so you're gonna have to come out to hollywood try to invade my territory it ain't big enough for the both of us hogan but if you want to come out i'll give hogan a job in hollywood he can drive my limo this is an unbelievable this is almost as good as the promos macho was cutting on hogan coming into this this is like a money go home promo for a main event the funniest thing is that like This is apropos of nothing on the show you watch now, because what's been removed is the commercial for No Holds Barred that aired during the show. Uh, So here it's making a lot more sense. It literally looks like they just come back from Piper's pit. Jesse turns to the camera and destroys Hulk Hogan on the microphone for no reason. Then they do a promo for Hogan versus Savage. Then we get a Hogan interview backstage with Mean Gene. He says, you know, a year ago, dude, I never would have thought I'd end up fighting the Macho Man here at WrestleMania. It was obvious that the mania was running a little bit ahead of the madness, but we were like brothers. He attacked me. He attacked all the Hulkamaniacs, dude. Uh, Savage is jealous of the Hulkamania. And Donald Trump, he's got issues of his own. He sent a whole team of seismologists out to Atlantic City to check the foundations of Trump Towers for when the mega powers explode because the building might crumble into the sea. When I get the macho man up in the launch position and I slam him, this whole place is going to crumble, dude. Do you think halfway through this he realized that he was just redoing he did this the last year? Yeah. Atlantic City's gonna fall into the ocean, and then you just climb on the biggest back in the world, <laughs> dude, and I'll swim you to safety. God, Donald Trump is a Hulkamaniac. He'll know to let go of all his materialistic possessions. It's just the funniest shit that I've ever heard. Yeah, I bet halfway through he's like, oh shit, I did this last year, didn't I? Fuck. I'm not on nearly as much cocaine this time. (laughs) Hogan promos are so morbid. He's obsessed with death. And, like, the really funny thing is, again, this is a heel promo. Like, he cuts a promo here where he basically states that, like, I knew I I was was better than Savage the whole time. I was just just let him. him. I just let let him be champion for a year. Now I'm going to take back the belt from him like I could have any time. What is different between this and the Rick Martel promo he just cut on Tito Santana? I never wanted to be in this tag team, but I did it for you. But now you're a waste of space, and now I gotta beat your ass. It's the same shit. He's the heel. We're only like halfway through this show. Uh, I think Steve. we're a little over. I think we're a little over half. I feel like the halfway point was the brother love segment. I'll tell you what, like when we when I was watching the show, like I was like pretty much sticking with it. And like when we get to bad news, bad news, Brown, that's the moment where it broke me because I was just like, why? Why? (laughs) These WrestleMania, it feels like they were all like this where you'd be like, okay, we're doing okay, And then there would just be two or three matches where you're like, why is this? so late in the show how yeah. on earth can do they put in like in wrestlemania 3 they had 
the tag match with the killer bees. And it was the second to last match on the show. Everybody at that point is like, can we please just see Hogan and Andre and get out of here? We have to work tomorrow. Yeah. When they did the Hogan promo, I was like, all right. Yeah. Hell yeah. I'm ready for the main event. And then I remember, like, oh, wait a minute. There's a lot there's left. Five, there's five more matches. Ugh. Next up, one of the drawing matches on the show, Andre versus Jake Roberts. And we've got Andre's old rival, Big John Studd, as the special guest referee. Pretty much the last time we'll see Studd in the WWF. That is funny. Like, he's literally just made his comeback, and he's never going to have a high-profile match during it. (laughs) No, he won the Royal Rumble in very forgettable fashion. Yep. Andre dominates the match. He slips the buckle pad off before the match, and he runs Jake into the exposed turnbuckle. Jake finally makes a comeback. He hits some knee lifts, some jabs, and then he rams Andre's head into the exposed buckle. Jake tries to burn Damien, but DiBiase shows up and swipes it from him. Meanwhile, Stud and Andre are in the ring, and that's the finish. Andre's disqualified, you know. They're not I mean, going to, Andre's not going to get panned. It is what it is. Yeah. They're not going to let Jake be the guy who like beats Andre clean after Hogan. Like that's just not, not what happening. They're gonna do. Like Jake, to comes my out knowledge, of his... nobody ever, like, he never got beat on TV again after Hogan beat him. I don't that think anybody the... ever pinned. You got to say that they did right by Andre on his way out because realistically, like they could have just started jobbing him to guys. <laughs> Warrior would beat him. Warrior would beat him in like literally ten seconds on house shows, but they never televised those matches. Right. Did you ever hear the story about how like Andre got so sick and tired of Warrior stiffing him during house shows because he was coming too fast off the ropes? That one yes. time he just held out his hand and Warrior <laughs> ran into it and knocked himself out. Yeah. Slow down now. Oh God, that's great. <sighs> Shivani interviews Shane. She rips on Rock and Robin singing and says Macho Man will win the main event. It's just so funny that they do this foreshadowing here. Like I know that like they know they're going there later, but like yeah, she I, she starts managing Savage right after WrestleMania. But they, they literally got just, that all figured out. They could have just done it here. They yeah, just done it here. Just uh, yeah, Elizabeth won't be in his corner. He's got somebody who will. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, it's such a betrayal when he leaves with yeah. Sherry instead of Elizabeth, right? Especially if he wins. Like, so I don't much, need you. So much heat. Go yeah. with Hogan, you hussy. I don't need you anymore. Uh, next up, the Hart Foundation. It's Greg Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man. They're not rhythm and blues yet. They're just teamed together because they have nothing to do and they're both managed by Jimmy Hart. But you can see the sadness in Valentine's eyes. Yeah. And somebody's probably told him he's got to dye his hair. And he's just like, I want to die. I would rather go to hell right now than do that. Does not want to be there. The last place in the world he wants to be is teaming with the Honky Tonk Man. And the last thing he wants in the world is to be relevant for a fucking second. Monsoon <laughs> references Valentine slimming down for this match. It felt like he would say that at every WrestleMania about him for whatever reason. And it's not accurate. He's not skinnier <laughs> at all. No, he's doughier than ever here. What are we talking about? Of course he is. 
you know, Rhythm and Blues control most of the match. Honky hits the shake, rattle, and roll. He tags Valentine. Valentine drops the shin guard to try to do the figure four on Brett, but Brett tips it. Brett trips him. Um, Brett makes a hot tag. Nightheart comes in with a big drop kick. Brett hits a scoop slam, a front elbow, a snap suplex. Honky tries to get the megaphone from Jimmy Hart, but Nightheart intercepts it. He throws it to Brett. Brett hits Honky with it and gets the one, two, three. It was fine. Does it seem weird that Brett's still in a tag team at this point? It really feels like getting. He's. It feels like they had and they had split them off for a little while previous year after WrestleMania, but they didn't feel like Brett was ready for the. Yeah, so they put him back together, and they ended and, up teamed team together for another two years after this. He he was ready for a singles run at this point. That's him thing. and Rude would have been him, man. Him and Rude even for the Intercontinental Title would have been awesome. It really feels like it really feels like uh, he had like a big opportunity. Like was it the Battle Royal at four that he like really yeah. stood out? Yeah, like it felt yeah. like that was like really his opportunity, and then just <laughs> they squander that. <laughs> All right, next up, Intercontinental title match. The Ultimate Warrior defends against Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, if Rude wins here, Heenan will have his first ever champion in his stable, which is unbelievable that Heenan ever managed a champion. That's fucking crazy. But when you think about it, like, so many of the titles were always on baby faces that, like, yeah, I don't they think... they didn't change the belts that often back then. Did, like, Slick ever have a champion? Did have... Humperdinck? I don't know who had one. No, really. I don't think so. I mean, I know Hart yeah. did because he had like Jimmy Hart. Had, Jimmy Hart had a bunch. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Hart had. Um, Jimmy Hart had Honky Tonk Man, Valentine. Um, yeah, tag champs. He had the Hart Foundation when they were heels. He had the only. He was the only good manager. Everyone else was just shit. Rude asks these high-rolling Atlantic City sweat hogs to keep noise down during his entrance. They do not, unfortunately. Rude's hair is like a triangle here. Like, it is so big and fluffed out, it's out of control. Rude tries to jump Warrior before the bell, and he kicks. He goes to kick him but Warrior is still wearing the title belt, so he hurt his foot, which is hilarious. I love that spot. That is an amazing spot. I don't know why. That feels like a perfect spot for MJF for some reason. Yeah, hell yeah. Man. How endearing is MJF learning what it's like to have a friend? Well, my favorite part about this is, like, literally... It's becoming clear that MJF and Kevin Owens are, like, basically the same character, right? So, like, this is just, like, his Jericho moment, right? (laughs) Like, occasionally... realizing that video games are fun to play with. It's just so obvious that this character has not had a friend since high school. He doesn't even know what it's like at this point to be friends with somebody. He's just such a fleshed-out character at this point. It's just wild when you think about it. Him and Cole, I really hope they keep them together. If, if anything, if they're going to do anything, Cole should just turn heel. Like, MJF yes. should just bring him to the dark side. It would be so much better than MJF turning on him. 
and so much more unexpected. Because I think at this point, everyone's yeah. just like, all right, well, we're just going to get them facing each other. It's like, obvious. Cause it's just, yeah. yeah, we're just building the Adam Cole sting moment where MJF turns on. It would be much better if they become legitimate friends, but that means Cole turns into an asshole. Hell which yeah, I love you're that. seeing signs of. Anyway. Yeah, it's a fun idea. Rude breaks out a missile drop kick. That was unexpected. I think Rude is literally sitting here, sitting there before the match, like, what can I do that he can't fuck up? Like, what what moves do I have in my arsenal that he doesn't even need to be a part of? He's like, if I do a missile dropkick, he just needs to stand there. We can do that. Warrior fires up, beats him up a little bit. Rude turns the tide. He hits a pile driver, but his back is hurt, so he can't make the cover. Warrior hulks up, hits a bunch of stuff. Rude is bumping like crazy. Warrior misses a charge into the corner. Rude goes for the Rude Awakening, but Warrior powers out, and Jesse says, imagine the psychological devastation for Rick Rude. That was hilarious. I love that idea. He's just devastated that Warrior was stronger than him. Um... Warrior's still beating up Rude. He clotheslines Rude to the floor. Rude goes to climb back in. Warrior grabs him to suplex him in, but he then grabs Warrior's foot, trips him, and holds down the foot as Rude bridges into a pin, and Rude gets the one, two, three. Good match. Good stuff here. Rick Rude, as we've established during the course of this podcast, is a bit of a mystery. Because he and Hulk Hogan are the only two people who are ever capable of yeah. carrying the Ultimate Warrior to a good match. But Rick Rude is also capable of having like the Chono match, which the is maybe the worst match, match anyone's Some ever had. Some of the shittiest matches. He also had a horrible match with Ricky Steamboat in the first Royal Rumble. Like, I don't know he, what it was. He could get in there with garbage and make it great, or he yeah. could get in there with the greatest and just stink it out. And there's no way to know. It's weird. Yeah. Like, he does great here. Uh, his match with, for the actual WWE title with Warrior was good as shit. Like, he was, just a, he was a great opponent for Warrior because he yeah. could just do he, everything. Yeah, he had the best chemistry with Warrior of anybody. It's amazing we didn't get, like, perfect versus Warrior because it's clear what the template for a good Warrior match is, is a guy who can bump for him, right? And there really weren't a lot of credible dudes who could do it, but we really only get rude. <laughs> Next, well, after the match, Warrior roughs up Heenan, which will play a role in Heenan's match later on. Um, well, he also hurts him for fucking real with the most disgusting... Is this where he actually broke his neck? Yes, so he lifts him up for his move where he, like, drop, like picks him up over his head and then drops him behind him. But he drops him directly onto, like, the back of his shoulders instead. And Heenan, like, hits neck first, tumbles down, and lands on his neck again. Like, he... Bucks Heenan up here. Yeah. Uh, the neck pain would bother Heenan for years and years after this. He had to stop managing because even just being at ringside and you know, pounding on the ring apron was too painful. And this ultimately played a major role in him going to WCW. As in WCW, he could get health insurance as an employee at Turner and he'd be able to afford to get his neck fixed. I just want you guys to understand that when Warrior comes into WCW later on and Heenan is, like, burying him on commentary, that's real, baby. He fucking hated Warrior. 
God, I would hate somebody. If somebody breaks your neck out of sloppiness, and also, like, to my understanding, showed zero remorse, never apologized for it. Oh, he didn't even what check on him. He, like, drops him, yeah. knows he fucked it up, and just runs to the back. Next up, Bad News Brown versus Jim Duggan. Ugh. God, what did we do to deserve this? I feel like Jim Duggan is always in this spot, which is the... Yeah. Way too late in the show. Wish this weren't happening, Spot. Oh, man. They wrestle for... They don't wrestle. They fight for a couple minutes. And then Bad News gets a chair, and Duggan gets a 2 by 4 and they both get disqualified. Completely pointless. Again, we're just getting guys on the card. And there's one more match to go, guys. God. Who's the person that we haven't seen yet who you would not be uh, satisfied? You wouldn't get your money's worth if you couldn't see him. Terry fucking Taylor. <laughs> we are 13 matches as, deep. As we're rounding the three-hour mark of this show, who is the last man in the world I want to see appear on my television screen? This absolutely flat, dead-ass audience, and they with a straight face roll out Terry Taylor, the Red Rooster. What do you think of this Red Rooster character? Like... It was kind of a game changer for me when you explained that it was meant as a joke, like, because he sucked so bad. Like, that really makes a lot of sense. That is the the character, at least from Heenan's perspective, is Heenan wanted to take the worst wrestler imaginable and make them a star. And that was, they gave Terry Taylor that role. I don't know if they actually hated Terry Taylor. It would be understandable. A lot of people do, and that would help explain this. But yeah, the storyline here was Heenan wanted to prove he could take the worst wrestler imaginable and make them a star. And then Rooster was ungrateful. And so Heenan took the other worst wrestler imaginable, Steve Lombardi, and had him repackaged as the Brooklyn Brawler. And he beat up Taylor for him. But now we have a match between the Red Rooster and Bobby Heenan here at WrestleMania. I think the more interesting idea would have been like, what if like the Red Rooster was like a fan that like Heenan's like, I can take a fucking Joe off yeah. the street and make him the cock of the walk. I mean, it still sucks, but it's just a, like oh. a, a more interesting version of that same story. <laughs> I love how Heenan wears miniature version of Andre's tights. That is the best to me, is that he's just Andre. Little Andre. Yeah. <laughs> he's limping because Warrior beat him up. That's the uh, thing. Warrior this... may have broken his neck, and he's just here yeah. working. It's a 30-second match. Rooster just runs Heenan into the corner and pins him. I don't know if this was ever intended to be anything more, but yeah, I think Heenan is in rough shape after Warrior dropped him on his head in the show. Is running long, so let's just wrap this thing up quick. I get the feeling these last couple matches probably got their time cut. I've never been more relieved to see Terry Taylor win a match. Then Mean Jean interviews Elizabeth. She says she'll be in a neutral corner tonight and support both men. She's just hoping for no injuries tonight. Randy is your husband. 
Like, this only works if she's torn between two men she loves, and that's the story. Otherwise, what are we doing? It doesn't make sense. Maybe she, and maybe she does. Randy doesn't treat her well, and Hulk's a gentleman. But Hulk Hogan is married. I Actually, feel Terry, yeah. Terry Bollet is married. I don't know if the Hulkster is. And I feel like nobody's comfortable being like Randy Savage is a terrible husband who treats me badly because yeah. that's the real life situation. <laughs> then we get something I we get something I really like. We go to Shivani in the locker room, and he says it's empty because everyone has gone out to watch the main event. I loved that. I do feel like every single main event should be like portrayed that way. Yeah. Like, yeah, all the boys are like, or like, where they call it like, uh, what is it like, uh, a locker sell room sellout? Sell out the curtain. Yeah, I, they should just do that for like big matches. Like, show all yeah. the boys in the back clustered around the monitor or something like that. Like, I want, like, that really gives you the sense of a big match. Uh, Moody asks some fans who they think is going to win. Seems like they all said Hulk Hogan. Mooney says it's a split decision. Yeah, it's everyone says Hulk Hogan. Come on. Uh, every everybody knows what the deal is here. Yep. All right. It's finally main event time here. Like three hours and fifteen minutes into the show as we get rolling here. Um for the title, Andy Savage defends against Hulk Hogan. Savage has to walk first, even though he's the champion. It's the story perfectly. Yep. Just, God, the bitterness he must feel. I think it was real, too. Yeah. Well, that's what makes the story so perfect. It's like the idea that Savage is a bad husband, the idea that Savage is jealous of Hogan, the idea that Hogan is jealously protecting his spot. That's all the real story. Yep. All of those real emotions come through. And I'm sure Savage really did feel like Hogan wanted to fuck his wife. It's not like it would be the first wife that Hogan fucked of a friend of his. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Then Elizabeth comes out. Jesse calls her a gold digger. I don't know if he compared her to Robin Givens here, but he would repeatedly at other points. Ooh, that's that's rough. That's mm, don't care for that. Jesse is just on fire bashing Hogan for coming after after Savage's one. And he's absolutely right. They lock up. Hogan throws Savage to the mat. Hogan hits Savage with a big shoulder block and Savage powders out of the ring. Jesse says, yeah, of course Hogan's going to overpower him, but you know, we'll see what happens when Savage gets to use his quickness. Um, Hogan chases Savage on the floor and Savage uses Elizabeth as a human shield to protect himself. Jesse says with what she's pulled, a punch in the nose might not be so bad for her. Jesse, come on, man. Too far. Hogan gets Savage with a drop toe hold and floats over into a front face lock. Japan Japan Hogan Hogan comes out. He's here. What is this, the Tokyo Dome? This is crazy. Does he think he's in there with Muda? What I think is really funny is that, like, clearly Savage, what Savage has over Hogan is that he's the great worker that no one thinks Hogan is, right? Yeah. So knowing Hogan the way that we do, doesn't this seem a little Mm -hmm. bit like he's just like, oh, I'll show you a fucking great match, motherfucker. I can work just as good as any motherfucker can. Be a real shame if somebody showed you up there, Randy. Be a real shame if Tokyo Hogan showed up, brother. 
Hogan um, works the headlock. Savage gets out with a back suplex. Savage rakes his eyes. He hits the double axe handle. Savage gets him in an arm ringer, but Hogan gets uh, gets him with a leverage move and tosses him to the floor. Savage then fires up, hits a big clothesline, hits some punches. Hogan blades. He's cut right into the eye. This is wild. I have not yeah. seen like some shit like this from Hogan. He's putting everything into this. This is the first time I can remember Hogan bleeding in a pay-per-view match. I think he had blood on some house shows before that. Said he blood uh, WrestleMania 7 against uh, Slaughter. He's desperately trying to get some heat on that match. Right. Hogan fires up, but he misses an elbow drop. Savage hits him with a knee to the back, rolls him up for a close two count. Hogan hits some clotheslines. Uh, they go out to the floor. Jesse yells at Savage, just stay out there and get counted out. He knows what's up. What if he had? What if he just leaves in the main event of what WrestleMania? If, I mean, that would be... Here's the thing. At this point, I feel like you could have gotten away with a disqualification. Like, WrestleMania is not what it would lay. I think you could have gotten away with a DQ here. Right. And then just build to a huge SummerSlam main event. I don't yeah, see why not. Yeah, okay with SummerSlam. I think you could have made that work. Honestly, like, as we've established, I sincerely think that, like, Savage should win here. And then they should build to, like, the big rematch at SummerSlam in a cage where Hogan can win or whatever the fuck. But, like, business is so unbelievably good. Like, I don't know, man. That This is just the benefit of hindsight, though, because at WrestleMania, Vince wants to establish Hogan always wins. The good guy always wins at WrestleMania. That is what he's trying to establish. I think the hottest finish you could possibly do here. What if Randy berated Liz so much that she finally broke and helped him beat Hogan? And she felt oh. you could see she feel and you could see she feels horrible about it, but she just gives Savage. Savage just relentlessly browbeating her, and she just can't take it anymore. And she helps him, but like she's heartbroken to do it. She doesn't turn heel. It's just more heat on set because he was so awful to her that he finally got her to help him. And see, that would be good for the character because, like, that pushes Randy beyond the point of, like, it doesn't matter if he was right about Hogan. He's just such a piece yeah, of shit at this such point. such a scumbag. And then he can, like, he can have his managing him, but he can have Sherry, too. And, like, you know, he's really with Sherry now and he's just humiliating Liz. Yeah. That's such a great idea. Just, like, make Liz, like, go and get him. Like, get me the ring bell. Yeah. Get it. Bring it right here. Put it on his throat. We're going to do what we did to Steamboat. Um, Randy, Liz helps Randy up, and he yells at her. Hogan and Savage are fighting on the floor. Hogan wants to run Savage into the post, but Liz won't let him. And then Savage posts Hogan. At this point, referee Earl Hebner tells Elizabeth to get out of there for her to leave, which to me does take a lot of attention out of the match, unfortunately. Yeah, you would think the match is literally built around the idea that Liz yeah. is going to have to choose between these two people. 
Like, that's literally what the storyline is. And then they just take away the tension of that completely. And it's just like, well, all right. Like, it seems like what they're building to is Randy's going to do something so heinous to Hogan that Liz is going to have to, like, help Hogan and betray her husband and is going to feel horrified about it. And that's what's going to, like, cause him to leave her for Sherry. But they don't ever really do that. No. I mean, you remember what they when they did what they did with the Triple H Kurt Angle feud was it came down like referee got knocked down and like standing with a chair and Triple H is just like you got to choose it's him or me and she hit Kurt with the chair and helped Triple H win. That feels like the moment we're building to here where she has to make her choice and, and I, I would think- say she should choose Savage. Well, yeah, like, and it should be Hulk asking her, right? It should be like, you got to choose, like, do the right thing, Um, help me out. And then she fucking clobbers Hogan. That's awesome. (laughs) Because she can't turn heel. There's nothing she could do. Like, it's not possible. Like, no one's going to blame But it's just just more heat on Randy that he forced. He put her in this horrible situation and made her make this choice. Yeah, I'm sorry, Hulk. Like, I love you, but, like, that's my husband. I have to support him. I have to. Well, he's, like, laughing maniacally off camera. Uh, Savage beats up Hogan for the next couple minutes, sets up, hits the flying elbow. Hogan kicks out at two. Hulks up, you know, punches, big boot, leg drop, new champion. I know that's what Hogan does. It just feels like they could have given, tried to give Savage something here. Like, yeah, like just, he just let no, him he kick no out of the leg. Like, just let him kick that out of the leg drop. That would have really been something. He'd kicked out of the leg drop. I don't know that anybody had ever done that at this point. No one had ever kicked out of the elbow drop. Hogan does. So let Savage kick out of the leg drop. Hogan looks shocked. Then he hits him with another one, gets the win. That's all it needs to be. But they don't protect Savage at all. They treat him like a keem, which is not fair to him. Oh, man. Uh, Hogan celebrates, poses with the belt. Jesse on commentary says there's a guy who will stoop to any level to get what he wants. And he's right. Hogan wins so definitively that, like, you come away from this being like, yeah, he was a piece of shit, huh? <laughs> As always, Jesse threatens to come out of retirement and take out Hogan. That's Man, I wish. It's like, if hold Hulk me Hulk. back, Gorilla. Hold me back, or I'm going to go down there right now. Gorilla's like, shut the fuck up, Jesse. You're never going to do that. My favorite part is throughout the entire show, they just keep referring to their former wrestling careers. And Gorilla's like, yes. yeah, back in our heyday. And Jesse's like, well, your heyday was 100 years ago. No, they were stars at the same time. <laughs> well, they wrestled at the same time. Gorilla retired in, like, 1982. Jesse retired in 85. But, like, yeah. like it's funny. Jesse's like, I retired, like, three weeks ago. I don't know what you're talking about. It is funny that they don't see I Gorilla just doesn't come off like a wrestler for whatever reason. For me, watch it. Like, watch it. Obviously, I understand that Gorilla Monsoon was a wrestler, but I feel like to a lot of fans, most of the, the young fan base for this company, I think only knew Gorilla as this smooth talking announcer. There's no way you would. He looks like somebody's grandpa. There's no way you would believe yeah, he was like so bear hugging dudes just seven years ago. That doesn't sound right. And, 
I don't think you realize how big he is because they never let him stand with any of the wrestlers because they don't he'd make them all look tiny. He's so huge. Right. And he's like he's about the same size as like Jesse here. Yeah. But like Jesse's but, gigantic. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really doesn't register that you know gorillas do huge. He just looks yeah like somebody's big grandpa. So yeah, he always refer, refers to when he used to wrestle, and Jesse's just like, "Shut the fuck up, old man." Oh yeah, no, back didn't. in 19, back in back in nineteen thirty two, gorilla. Oh, when you reversed that move when Frank Gotch put it on you. <laughs> that is a wrap for WrestleMania five and for this Mega Powers season. It's interesting. Like we said, the pay per views that led up to this really didn't draw, but this one was huge. I think at this point. Most people just weren't going to buy a pay-per-view that wasn't WrestleMania. And we've talked about how arduous getting a pay-per-view was at this point. This is not like today where you just click a button on your remote. Here, you have to go to your ca- go to an office your cable has in your town or maybe in the next town over. Like, pay a deposit to get a special box and bring it to your place and install it and then pay for the pay-per-view on top of that, and then bring the box back afterwards to get the deposit back. Like, you got to put the work in to get a pay-per-view at this point. I'm old enough to remember actually doing that. And, like, wow, the, the, really? night, the nightmare it was. It wasn't for this. It was for, like, my dad would occasionally, well, my stepdad would occasionally, like, buy, like, big boxing events. And yeah, like you would I, have have the same me- I have the same memory, actually. I th- I feel like my dad, when there would be a big boxing match, he would buy it and have some of his friends over to yeah. watch it. And I do have the me- I do have the memory of, yeah, having to get the box and all that. And, and it would just be like this like, little box. weird black box sitting on top of the TV that you weren't allowed to touch. Yep. And then, like, as soon as the show went over, he would, like, put it in his bedroom so that I wouldn't try to watch pay-per-views later that night. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up costing a lot of money. Yep. Yeah. Um, man, that's a throwback. It's just so funny. Like, I remember the first time I bought a pay-per-view over the phone and how fucking futuristic it felt. Yeah. Where I like I think it was like Good Friends Better Enemies or some shit like that, like in the nineties. And I had to like call up a person and be like, Hey, I really want to order in your house and they made fun of me over the phone because they were assholes. Like, that, but- you want to watch that fake phony ass wrestling stuff? That basically is what it is. They were like, uh, "Can you say that again?" And I'm like, "In your house, what? good friends, better enemies." It's like what I've the never fuck heard is of that. that. Yeah, they were literally was like, me? and of course what they the knew what it wrong was. With you, you they work at the pay per view place, and it's only <laughs> yeah, three fucking pay per views. <laughs> this is your whole business is selling people this shit. Why are you being an asshole about it? I know you have a calendar in front of you that just says, yes. like, all right, we're showing Independence Day and then Good Friends and Better and, Enemies. And porn. That's the yeah. other thing you sell. You sell fucking smut, you perverts. Well, I'm sure they, they heard, like, the, oh, this is a 12-year-old boy. They're definitely asking for porn. So she's, like, leaping <laughs> through, like, the porn selections. Good Friends, Better Enemies. Oh, that's a new one. I haven't heard of that one. Oh, man. So, yeah, I mean, on the whole, a huge success. And I, just, you know, it was a great story. It was a great story. And they, when is the next time they told a story this good? It was a long, long time. I do want to say that I think that this taught them something about storytelling. Because previously, 
every big match they put on was some semblance of either Hulk Hogan's friend turns on him and or yeah. Hulk Hogan meets a monster and has to slay it. Yeah. And that was the only story they knew how to tell. Like, this is different. This is a different, more layered kind of story. And I do yeah. feel like they start trying to tell more stories like that to varying degrees of not that much success. But, I, like, the Slaughter story is an example of them trying to tell a layered, detailed story like this that just went horribly awry. It was just a disastrous one, yeah. But they basically do the same kind of thing with Warrior, except Warrior doesn't have a personality. But, like, you can tell that they learned something here. Like, there's a new way we can tell the Hulk Hogan story. Yeah, I'm a little surprised they didn't just more or less try to repeat. They do it a little with Hogan and Warrior, but it's nowhere near. Like, I'm a little surprised they didn't try to do a full year build to Hogan and Warrior after all the success that this one had had. But I don't they knew they were going with warrior quite yet that may not have happened until a little later oh and let's be clear steve they did intend to do this exact same storyline again except with chic tugboat oh yeah chic tugboat yeah (laughs) so yeah a wrap on wrestlemania 5 a wrap on the mega powers season bye bye 80s so next time we may never see you again Next time, we're going to take it from the season's format and cover something I'm really excited to talk about. SummerSlam 2004, we are finally going to talk about Randy Orton winning the World Heavyweight Championship when he was only 24 years old. We're going to talk about uh, the, the, the one summer where Chris Benoit was a credible main eventer. We're going to talk about how you, the first burgeoning outbreak of Smark fans, is what causes them to turn Randy Orton babyface a year too early. Ruined everything. A year too Randy Orton never should have been a babyface. But, like, this idea, like, we're going to get so far into this, but this is the first time, like, this burgeoning Smark fan base that, like, has finally come alive and realized its power at WrestleMania 20 like flexes and WWE listens and they ruin one of the most promising prospects they've ever had about it. Yep. This whole, this whole night, this crowd in Toronto is just wild. They're doing crazy things in every match. Yeah. Like they are literally like trying to steer by the fans, but I don't think they realize that Toronto is just like opposite day yet. They haven't come to terms with that. And so shit's just going off the rails. Yeah, it feels like this Toronto crowd was really, like, they were inspired by the Goldberg-Brock match at WrestleMania yes. where the crowd hijacked that match. It was like, what if we just hijacked the whole show and did, you know, cheered the heels in every match? And they do. And what else do we have to talk about? We can talk about Triple H and Eugene's epic feud. Eugene! Yeah. We get to talk about... Uh, the Undertaker this- and JBL. Is this the horrific Edge comeback where he does the I don't like you? Yes. Oh. Sure is. <laughs> yeah. Edge, Edge absolutely floundering as a baby face. Uh, we got a WrestleMania rematch between Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero. That's exciting. Fuck yeah. We get John Cena versus Booker T best of five that no one in the no world thanks. asked for. No one, no one wanted that. No one needed that. Nope. <sighs> so yeah. All that and more next time on the Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.
All right, before we get out of here, I got a trivia question for Steve, because, of course, stumping Steve is the thing that I care about the most in this whole entire world. Now, on this show, Steve, there are three wrestlers who went, who had at least two matches at WrestleMania and were undefeated at WrestleMania for their entire run. Ooh. Can you name those three people? Let me look. I am going to pull up the card to refresh my that memory. That is acceptable, yes. As to who was on this show. Now, uh, there are only, to my knowledge, 10 people who ever had at least two matches and remained undefeated at WrestleMania. I will right now give you a time to think about it by listing off the other people who successfully did okay. it. Rob Van Dam ended his career 4-0. Yep. Uh, Legion of Doom, 3-0. and uh, Sable, 3-0. and Terry Funk, 2-0. and AJ Lee, 2-0. and China 2-0 and Mr. T 2-0. Hmm. So we are looking for someone who went 2-0-1, someone who went 2-0, and uh, a, someone else who went 3-0. and This was Iron Tully's only WrestleMania match. Neither yes. of them. So neither of them. Rick Rude, yeah, Rude's 201 because he had the draw with Jake the previous year and he beat Snooka the next year at WrestleMania and he beat Warrior here. So Rude was undefeated at WrestleMania. That's correct. He is the 201. Okay. So then you have someone who's 210. And remember, I will make this clear he appeared on this show. But did not wrestle. Oh, okay. He appeared on the show, but did not wrestle. Correct. The three and O did wrestle on this show. He now, has the second longest. Here's w- here's one I have a question about. Okay. What about ba- Bad News Brown? Won the Battle Royal the previous year at WrestleMania four, and he had a double DQ with Dunn here, and has a double countout with Piper. The year after this. Now, technically, a double DQ and a double countout count as losses. You count the, you're counting those as losses. Okay. At least the, the the stats that I'm looking at counted as not. Cause sure. I, I don't think that he ever re- technically had a win, because I'm not even sure that, like, battle royals count. <laughs> Fair. Uh, Demolition, Axe, and Smash... Oh, wait. Axe. Just Axe. Axe. 3-0 at WrestleMania. Smash and Crush lose to Tenru and Kitao at WrestleMania 7, right? That is absolutely correct. He is the 3-0. Axe is undefeated. Yes. So now you're just looking for the 2-0 person who did not wrestle on this show but was on it. Didn't wrestle, but was on it. It's occurring to me now. I don't, oh, Roddy Piper did win one match. He beat Goldust in the backlot brawl. I was thinking Roddy Piper had never won a match at WrestleMania, but that's not quite right. Yeah, but he did lose the first one, so it's not him. 
appears on the show. Yes. I will even go so far as to say that I'm not sure he's had a match in this company yet. I don't know for sure. Virgil. It is Virgil 2-1-0 Virgil at WrestleMania. Beat Ted Di- I don't remember the other one, but he beat Ted DiBiase at 7. Was he in a tag match at WrestleMania, like a eight man, the 8-man tag at WrestleMania 8? Yep, Boss Man, Hacksaw, and Slaughter versus the Mountie, Repo, and the Nasty Boys. He teamed with Boss Man, Hacksaw, and Slaughter. I forgot, I forgot he was in that match, but I knew he had beaten Savage. I knew he beat DiBiase at 7, and... Looking at the other managers on the show, it wasn't going to be anybody else. Yeah, buddy. Our boy Virgil has the 10th best record in WrestleMania history. See how much longer I can keep this up. Yep. Like, this is... So you're you're 2-0. You've defeated me twice now. This is like, like Orange Cassidy. I'm just wearing down more and more each week. It is so funny to me, too, that, like, Rob Van Dam at 4-0 is the next best after The Undertaker's streak. Wild that they've never really even tried to get anybody, like, get anybody anywhere close. Like, you'd think they could have gotten somebody at least a few wins in a row, and that would have been a perfect feud with Undertaker. But, like, they never really even managed to do that. I feel like Edge was, like, Five and zero before he faced Undertaker at WrestleMania. Couple, he got a couple, but he was in a Money in the Bank that he didn't win. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't lose. Yeah. So I think that's how they tried to play it off. I don't know, but yeah, that I remember. Feel it was like yeah, because we all for whatever reason Edge versus Undertaker was always a WrestleMania dream match, and it was yeah the fact that Edge had won a couple matches in a row at WrestleMania had us being like, ooh, him and Undertaker, that'll be cool. Yeah, they had a chance with Strowman, who was two and zero coming into this past year, but he just he lost the tag match. So nope. Has he really only had two WrestleMania matches before this year? Uh, that I mean, was the, the thing for you. He, he couldn't get booked on WrestleMania for years for whatever reason. Yeah, what I'm looking at is from 2021, but Strowman it lists as being. Uh, WrestleMania 34 with Nicholas. WrestleMania 36, he beat Goldberg. Those are the only two. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's a wrap. 2-0, undefeated. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.